Hey, people that like to save money, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you have heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. The GameTime app is simple. It is quick. It's easy to navigate. And now, GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here is all you need to do. Download that GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Ticket section of the app. Create an account. Then under the billing section, use the redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's The Athletic. It's all one word, and with it, you get $10 off your first purchase. That is free money, people. Credits is only available to the first 1,000 people who use the redeem code, and it expires at the end of the year. That is December 31st, 2019, if you're not paying attention. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. For the Athletic Podcast Network, I'm Kate Scott. Welcome to the update. Well, Merry Christmas to all of you who are celebrating today. Our present to you, part two of our conversation with Giants beat writer Andrew Baggerly. If you didn't catch the player focused part one, it aired Monday. We recommend starting there. As we now head inside the minds of the front office decision makers to get a better idea of what we can expect from Gabe Kapler's version of the Giants and how the changes to Oracle Park itself will affect the organization this year and beyond. It's Wednesday, December 25th. All right, Andy, we got into a little bit last time, but but today let's dive into new giant skipper Gabe Kapler. Now that the waters have, have calmed a bit since Farhan announced he'd be taking over for Bruce Bochy, what does Kapler's hiring say to you about Farhan's vision for the future of this club? I think it's just going to be very development-focused. It's going to be interesting because he got a three-year contract. We know that the first year, probably the first two years, are going to be pretty rough. I don't think he's going to be expected to win, which may be a good spot for him to be in. The pressure will be off a little bit. However, we know that Giants fans are accustomed to to watching a winner, even though we're in a bit of a downturn. And I think there is going to be some noise if they really, really struggle. But more than anything, I think this is a guy who is a very successful farm director under Farhan Zaidi with the Dodgers. He's a guy who is very, very intellectually curious. He, he really is into maximizing human potential in all its ways, physical, mental, finding every little thing from diet to um, going through the metrics, any advantage he can get to get more out of you and make you a better player. And I think that there's a lot to like about that, uh, and there's certainly a lot that Farhan Zaidi likes about that. He's very different from Bruce Bochy. He's not laconic. He's someone who will talk through every move he makes and why he made them. Uh, And and I think sometimes he can come off as a little bit uh, needy, like he needs to totally explain himself. And if you only see everything from his point of view, you'll agree with him kind of a thing. And so he's going to clash with people. He's not going to get along with everyone. Uh, He can be, to use the word that I'm sure that it's going to be used a billion times, polarizing. But at the same time, you know, it's a, a move that I think Farhan, once he got fired by the Phillies, Farhan, I think, basically had his mind made up the very next day, and the whole rest of the next month was convincing everybody else, convincing ownership, convincing all the levels of the organization You know that, that this guy was going to be the right guy for these reasons. And, of course, we know about the past baggage that he had to come out and explain and, and talk about, which Farhan had to talk about, too, because mm-hmm. he was running the Dodgers uh, organization as general manager when uh, some of those players were accused of, of being involved in some uh, assaults and stuff. So, you know, all of that, I think, gives Gabe Kapler a lot that he has to prove. But again, I think he's coming into this with an eye toward developing and getting the most out of players and asking them to do some unconventional things. 
it's not going to be boring. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's for sure. Speaking of unconventional, thank you for the transitionary word. Eight new coaches, six of whom have never played a game in the bigs, two of whom never even played in the minors. After years of just being surrounded by major leaguers, Bam Bam and Roberto Kelly and Dave Rigetti and Mark Gardner, the list goes on when it comes to the guys who assisted Bruce Bochy in winning those three titles. What is a fan to make of this much different looking staff that Kapler has assembled? Yeah, what are the players supposed to make of it yeah. too, especially the ones who've been around the block a few times and are used to identifying with coaches who've gone through the grind, you know, like they have. And the ability of these coaches to connect with players, especially the veteran players, is going to be real fascinating to watch, I think. But that's one thing that that, uh, Farhan Zaidi talked about and Gabe Kapler talked about quite a bit at the winter meetings was in vetting all these candidates, that's the one thing they were looking for is can they connect with players. When you are an organization in our position and you're expecting to get younger at the major league level, player development at the major league level is important. So having people with that PD background that, you know, have been good teachers that have taught young players that are, you know, kind of current on the type of content that's out there, both on the hitting and pitching sides. um, Those were things that we were definitely looking for in putting together the staff. Because it can be hard if you speak a different language analytically, you know, to get people to do things that they may not be comfortable fully Mm -hmm. doing. And if your message to them is, look, you know, at the end of the day, we believe this is going to make you a better and more productive player. And if you're a better and more productive player, you're probably going to have a, a longer career. You're probably going to make more money. So we're on the same side. We're on the same side with you, wanting to get you get the most out of you. That's got to be the message because we know whether it's guys getting optioned up and down or guys being platooned, there's a lot of ways that they're going to ask players to do things that will take money out of their pockets. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be very, very important that these coaches get on board fast with the players. And the younger the roster is, the easier that'll be. Which name or names on the staff intrigues you the most? I think Kai Correa has to intrigue me the most. I mean, Andrew Bailey's a guy who's got some major league time. He obviously accomplished a lot with the A's, was an all-star closer. Uh, I've heard a lot of great things about him as a pitching coach. And so the one that's really interesting is Kai Correa because the people who know him rave about him. But most of his coaching has been very non-traditional. It's been on the clinic circuit. He's a guy who is from Hawaii. Just two years ago, he was coaching, not even the head coach, but just on the coaching staff at Northern Colorado University. <laughs> okay. And 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 uh, he's coming from the Cleveland Indians, where he was their defensive coordinator in the minor leagues and basically knows how to do the infield, which we know Ron Wotus has been doing forever. Right. We all thought, okay, he was going to join this staff as the first base coach. It comes out that he's the bench coach at 31 years old, two years removed from being a recruiter at northern Colorado, (laughs) never having played major or minor league baseball, because I guess he got hurt when he was in high school or maybe something. I I don't know the whole story Mm -hmm. there. But I think that's fascinating. I mean, this is a very out-of-the-box hire. And uh, and that's one thing that a lot of the Phillies people were telling me about Gabe Kapler, too. They said, Gabe will be fine as long as he hires a bench coach who's really experienced, who can make sure to check his work, you know, make sure that he, you know, doesn't make any mistakes. Uh, he's going to need someone he can rely on there uh, in terms of the game management. Well, he just hired a guy that's the opposite of that. This could be a really, really brilliant out-of-the-box move, a very unconventional move that pays off, or it could absolutely detonate. I mean, it it really is going to be interesting to watch. You mentioned him, Ron Wotus. How do you see him fitting in with all this youth? Yeah, it's going to be kind of crazy. I mean, here he is going into his 23rd spring training with Mm -hmm. the Giants, and he's going to have eight or nine coaches in the room who, you know, most of whom have never even coached in the big leagues before. He's going to be answering to a guy who he was passed over, which is nothing new. They hired uh, Bruce Bochy Mm -hmm. over Ron Wotus. They hired Felipe Alou over Ron Wotus. But I am glad for him 
that they saw his value. I think that it's important to have some continuity still in the organization, have someone who has relationships with some of these players. And he coached the hell out of third base last year. He's yeah. very good at knowing his personnel, and he did not have guys run into many outs at the plate. So I do think that you know, he is somebody who is an asset. He plays the role immediately of kind of mentor for the coaches, somebody who has gone through Felipe Alou and Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy and now myself and who has that file of experience. Everything that Ron Wotus brings to the table, we're excited about. It's probably a good sign that this front office, this coaching staff group recognized that. And you know what? Good on Ron, too, for coming back and not being you know, no way, my way or the highway, because he had another interview set up with the New York Mets. He could have gone there, but I don't think he had any guarantees about, you know, what was going to happen in that process. And, you know, he and his wife, Lori, have lived in the Bay Area for a long time. She's a real estate agent out in the East Bay. And, you know, I think they're a big part of the Giants community. They have a, a couple of different charities that they're very involved in. Yeah. So this is the best life move for him. But again, it's going to be interesting, too, because Kai Correa is going to be in charge of coaching the infield, and Ron's not going to have as much to do with that. So is he going to start to feel a little bit pushed out? Is he going to feel a little bit isolated, like maybe he's not being valued so much? Uh, and, and then, you know, will that lead to maybe him stepping aside later on? I could definitely see that happening, but that's going to be on Gabe Kapler to make sure he doesn't feel that way and that he's, he's, uh, he's kept very, very close. And there's still a few staff openings, right? What are those positions, and what are some names you've heard that might fill them? Well, yeah, they've got two more staff openings. One is first base coach, uh, and the other one is more of a quality control uh, position that they're looking at. And I think that given who they've already hired uh, and how open-minded they've been, I, I don't know who their candidates are, but they could be anyone. We do know one candidate that they did interview was Rachel Balkovic, and she was just recently hired by the New York Yankees oh. uh, to a minor league uniformed coaching position. Wow. So uh, first uh, woman in a uniformed coaching position in the minor leagues, and she's the first woman now to be interviewed for what would be a uniformed major league coaching position. Yeah. So that's pretty cool that they're uh, looking at basically anyone who's qualified, who, who brings something to the table that's unique. And uh, her background is in physical therapy and um, strength and conditioning, mm. a real science background there. So, uh, And she also has been a hitting coach. So I, I think that they're looking to bring in anyone who shows that they have uh, kind of an acumen for knowing where this game is headed uh, and can bring something unique to the table. One thing they did say is, is one of those two hires will absolutely be a Spanish, native Spanish speaker which I think is going to be very, very important to Definitely. connect with the players from Latin America. And, you know, let, let's face it. We look at how this game has changed, and they're bringing in coaches with a different background, maybe not necessarily a playing background, or they're bringing in executives, you know, who, who have a different background, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe through the MBA programs of major universities. And it's be having a selection effect of making coaching staffs and front offices a lot wider, which is, you know, I don't think anyone would say is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, diversity should always be championed. So, you know, even if it's a small thing, I think it's a very, very important thing that they have a Spanish speaker on this staff. And, and this honestly is probably something that we sh we're going to have to keep an eye on in baseball because it's going to lead to some trends that are not so great. And finally, on the, on the managerial note, as someone who's covered this team for a long time, Andy, what do you see as the biggest challenges for Kapler and his staff going into this season? The biggest challenge, I think, is going to be, it might just be the public relations aspect, really, because I think they're going to give him players who are going to buy into what he's saying. He has to project sort of a, a genuine quality and not let people think that he's BSing them because he's a talker. He will talk. I think that he's got to be careful that he doesn't burn so hot that he takes all the oxygen out of the room, you know, because somebody who's like that is very intense, even if it's somebody who's very, you know, persuasive and, and even so, if it's someone who's very inspiring, 
they can be exhausting after a while, you know. And so I think that he's going to have to make sure that he runs at uh, not too hot a temperature. Mm-hmm. And with the messaging he's going to have to do, he's going to be the guy who meets with the media twice a day, who meets with us. And he's going to have to explain a lot of things that won't make sense to us and will not make sense to fans. Uh, and that's going to be a huge part of his job, is being that conduit between the front office and not just the players, not just the clubhouse, but the fans too. Yeah. So there's a lot on his plate from that perspective, and, and obviously they're pretty confident that he can do that because they hired him. All right, Andy, switching gears, they finally did it. Oracle Park's going to look slightly different come FanFest in February. What changes did the club make, and why now? Okay, so as we told you in April, uh, Eno Saris and I um, wrote the story that uh, kind of turned into a ginormous story. <laughs> it did, yep. We, we really tried to cover every angle of why the Pun ballpark... Pun intended. Yes, of why the ballpark changes were being considered and, and just how much of an outlier AT&T Park has become since 2015 with the sort of advent of this launch angle revolution. People say, well, they won three World Series in this ballpark. Well, yeah, they did, but the game has really changed that much since since 2014. So, And you can look at any number of, of, of stats that show you that. So, yeah, they looked at basically the action item being the bullpens on the field. They're right on the line. We've seen guys stumble over them. It really is time to look at this from a safety perspective. And I think that one thing that nudged Farhan Saidi in that direction is meeting with Bryce Harper as a free agent. And Bryce Harper didn't talk about the ballpark being unfriendly to power hitters. He talked about, hey, those bullpen mounds are unsafe. And he's thinking, you know, free agents are saying that to us. Maybe this is something we really need to take a hard look at doing. And then let's open it up and say, okay, if we're moving into the outfield, how can we maybe make some subtle changes? It's not a whole lot. Now, they are moving from 399 to 391 in dead center. That's probably going to be the biggest change. Mm-hmm. Those balls at the warning track maybe will get out now, especially on warmer days. But, you know, it's still it's 421 to 415. That's still awfully big. And the two other things besides dimensions that, that control how lively a park is is temperature and altitude. And Oracle Park is right at sea level. And it's got the second coldest average temperature in the big leagues. So it's still going to play like a pitcher's park. Uh, But maybe it'll be just a little more fair for some of those, like Brandon Belt. He hit the double that uh, was off the top of the wall. And it should have been a walk-off hit in the 18th inning last year. And instead, uh, he needs like a a bunt and a grounder to get (laughs) in. It was a little bit of a less exciting walk-off. But that ball will be a home run now because Mm -hmm. the wall that you have to clear at that point is going to be seven feet tall and not clearing the arcade. So I think it is going to play a little more lively. And that's going to both help and penalize the Giants, obviously, because both teams will play in it. Um, but the bullpens are now out in, in the outfield. They're uh, sort of up against the Kale Garden, which stayed. And, uh, <laughs> Good and, old Kale Garden. And, and there are, there are going to be a couple of patios and places for fans to, st- uh, to stand around and mill around and a couple places where they can look right into these bullpens and, and get an up-close uh, view of what's happening. That's cool. Uh, so, yeah, I think that will be cool. And then the other big change is that um, they're, they're going netting from foul pole to foul pole, okay. which I think is, is good, and, and fans are going to be like, oh, I hate watching the game through the net, but the net have gotten a lot better in recent years. They're thinner. They're not as obtrusive. And uh, I don't think it's going to be a change that people mind. And it's going to be safer. Do you know if the bullpens were meant to be in foul territory or were they forgotten? Do you know the truth to that legend? Peter McGowan told me that he liked the fact the bullpens were on the field at Wrigley Field because he could see the the pitchers warming up. And honestly, I liked it too. I did too. You go to Oakland, they're still on the field. Tampa, they're still on the field. Mm -hmm. But Oakland, there's so much foul ground, right, that you can put them way off to the (laughs) side 
And yeah, maybe an Eric Burns in his heyday would run up against it a few <laughs> times. But if, if you go and you walk down the field, which I've done many times, I mean, it's the chalk line and that's the mound. It's right there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's within three feet of, of a ball being fair. And then you've got the mound right there. So, you know, when you really went up close and looked at it, you realized that it's a narrow space and it's all being taken up by this bullpen. It really wasn't the best uh, place to put them. But we know that they had to work sort of with the whole ballpark on 7 eighth scale to get it built on that parcel. But, you know, there was room out there in the outfield and, and that's where they're going to be. And I think that everyone's going to get used to this pretty quick. Anything I didn't ask you about that's caught your attention this offseason, Andy? No, Pablo Sandoval's wedding. We could talk about that. Pablo got married, and uh, not only did he get married, a bunch of guys came back from his wedding to go to the winter meetings, including Bruce Bochy. They said that they didn't even sit down to eat until midnight. And it <laughs> was It was still going at 7 in the morning. <laughs> and I think that they brought in breakfast for everyone after that. So, wow. Uh, and, and I saw photos from this thing, and they had big, giant panda heads floating around. Where was it? Uh, it was in Florida, I think. And uh, Hunter Pence was there. Mike Yastrzemski was there. Oh, you know, they, they, Someone posted a photo of all the baseball players who were there, and it was one of those deals where you could do a sporkle quiz and pick everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, that's um, Albert Suarez. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, that's uh, uh, Gerardo Parra. (laughs) Yep. So it it was pretty cool to see all those photos and stuff. And apparently it was quite the expensive uh, wedding. So that was was all Boston Red Sox money that paid for that. (laughs) Thank you, Boston. Oh, Andy, this was fantastic. And it sounds like this could just be the start of what you're saying. It is still to be a very exciting offseason. So hopefully we'll see you again soon. Sounds good. Oh, man. Andy wasn't kidding. Pablo and his partner, Ulamar Martins, pulled out all the stops for their early December wedding at the St. Regis Ball Harbor Resort in Miami Beach. In addition to the giant panda heads that Andy mentioned, there was a 10-tier wedding cake studded with Swarovski crystals, careful where you bite there, as well as Cirque du Soleil-esque dancers that were wearing light-up capes. And suddenly, all of our weddings just got a whole lot less exciting, didn't they? It's okay. Mine too. For access to all of Andy's awesome coverage of the Giants, just click the link in the description notes of today's podcast. Coming up in the next few weeks here on The Update. You could call it something to stuff your stocking with, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. Monte Ellis was the face of the Warriors franchise in the late 00s, and then he was gone. But his impact remains. How Stephen Curry and the current Dubs dynasty don't exist without him as told by Oakland native and longtime Warriors writer Marcus Thompson. Speaking of Oakland, fear not, A's fans. We haven't forgotten about you. We'll get into all the offseason comings and goings in green and gold with the great Susan Slusser. We'll also talk Cal and Stanford football with the Pac-12 Network's Yogi Roth. We'll go big picture college football with the editor-in-chief of our college football site, Stuart Mandel. And on our next show, with a game to go in the NFL's regular season, The Kyle Shanahan-led Niners are playoff bound for the first time in six years. Matt Barrow's caught up with Kyle's closest friends and his mom, Peggy, to learn how a wrought iron fence is to blame or to credit for Kyle's perfectly timed return to the red and gold. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of The Update. If you're enjoying the show so far, we'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're not sure about us yet, well, we appreciate you hanging with us while we work out the kinks. I'm Kate Scott. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you on Friday.